Eight years ago, three nerds created a little independent wrestling podcast that could, but over time, that podcast has grown into not just covering wrestling, but all things under the nerd rainbow. From Marvel to the Muppets, from Frank Sinatra to Count Chocula, from Mickey Mouse to CM Punk. Now, here is some combination of Chad, Zach, and Luna as we welcome you to the IndieCast. All nerd, all the time, exclusively on the WNR. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the IndieCast. I'm Zach Romero. Before we start with this episode, I wanted to make a little bit of an announcement. Your calendars have not deceived you. It is, in fact, anniversary season for the IndieCast. We are almost at a decade now of doing the show, and it's right about now that we usually celebrate our anniversario. However, timing has not worked out for us. Uh, Luna and I are going to be vending at Spookala in Ocala, Florida, uh, this actually this weekend uh the 9th to the 11th and so we haven't been able to get together with chad and do what we normally do for anniversary episodes so uh instead uh, i'm bringing in our resident fourth member of the show uh the franchise dan starling and we're going to do a little bit of an after dark episode uh it may run a little short and then next week after the convention's over we'll get back to normal and we'll do the whole anniversary thing and jerk ourselves off about how great we are. So thank you so much and uh, enjoy. Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Zach Romero. Joining me here is the resident fourth member of the IndieCast, Dan Starling. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Always, always. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we've got a lot on the ball. Uh, you and I have been watching several, several uh, shows and episodes of ECW, uh, so that's warped our mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you've had a couple of uh, noteworthy wrestling appearances since the last time you were on the show. Oh. And uh, we've got a convention coming up. So we've got a couple of things sort of uh, updating some things here and, and telling some stories. So first of all, let's start with uh, ECW. Oh, my favorite. Uh, so of the So kind of bring everybody up to speed on what we've been watching. So, for the last, would you say, three weeks? I think we're going on to a month now. Going on a month now. We've watched, at least like previously our deep dive into Hammer Horror, we've converged into ECW. Yes. Which, roughly from 95, 96, to about 98, we've been finding pay-per-views, some episodes of Hardcore TV... Just sprinkling in different matches and different moments in ECW from roughly ninety late 95 to early 98. Yeah, and we've been bouncing around. We haven't really gone in chronological order. Um, so of what we've watched, what have you most garnered from this viewing, from this rewatch? Because obviously if you watched ECW before, it's not like it was the first time we've ever seen this product, but... What have you taken away from it through this viewing? Well, there's a lot of things that I've learned because it, it's been a month straight. Very true. So it, I'd have to start from the beginning. Uh, let's Speaking of the beginning, what really got us into ECW, Louis Spicoli. Louis fucking Spicoli, R.I.P. And what I learned mostly from watching Louis Spicoli is reading the room. Yes. And how important that is. Yes. So, for anybody who's not familiar with Louis Spicoli, uh, he was 
kind of a, I would say, what, like, third string kind of guy in WWF and WCW in, like, the early 90s. He was Rad Radford in the new generation. Right. And then he went to ECW right after that. Yeah, and so, not really finding success in the bigger stages, you know, he kind of, he's depressed, he comes to ECW to try to figure something out, and doesn't really take on, like, a hardcore persona, just kind of shows up in a singlet, and is just having good wrestling matches. But, the 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 thing that, the element that Daniel's referring to is, in the midst of his wrestling matches, he would read the room and be like, uh-oh, losing the crowd a little bit, go outside the ring, grab a chair. Punch kick, punch kick. Yeah, like, go back baseball the throw the chair at the guy, get back in the ring, get back to business, etc., etc. Hit him with the Spicoli driver, oh. teabag a man. He did indeed teabag it was, a man. It was pretty powerful. Um... So from there, we just completely fell in love with Luis Piccoli. Um and and seeing a wrestler who's like been at the top and is now trying to find an identity, um, very relatable. very interesting and relatable. And so uh, obviously he has a pretty tragic ending to his life after ECW, but getting to revisit some of that it was definitely certainly the uh, the jumping off point for us. Absolutely. And then from there came a uh, deeper appreciation for Chris Candido. And if you know me at all, if any of my friends are listening to the podcast, you know I've always had a deep appreciation for Chris Candido and all members of the Triple Threat. True. But with the Dark Side of the Ring being so recent, right, and just... Scrolling through ECW to find Chris Candido versus Lance Storm and the blonde bombshell, the best finish in wrestling ever. It's pretty great. Very interesting to really see. You know, there's a lot of wrestlers who who went through ECW and like kind of got like a revitalization or something like that. Um, I think of like Stone Cold Steve Austin, for example, like coming out of WCW, doing a quick tour in ECW, and then basically becoming Stone Cold in WWF. Like, you see a lot of wrestlers kind of go through that. It's almost like like a puberty for wrestling. Yeah. People really find their identity. Like, Raven currently on the screen, you know, Scotty Flamingo. Right. Now all of a sudden... Complete rejuvenation. Same thing with Cactus Jack. Um, a lot of wrestlers, like, yeah, like, ECW was sort of their puberty. But for Candido, especially watching the Dark Side of the Ring thing, that really was his apex. Like, he was at his best in ECW. Oh, absolutely. Which is, I think, unusual and very special. Yes. Like, to, to really come into your own. And, interestingly enough, for Candido, you know, really doing the opposite of what he was doing in WWF. You know, he went from being, you know... Body Donna's, you know, Skip Goober to no gimmicks needed. No gimmicks needed, and and really finding his footing. And and again, you and I have had this discussion, you know, not on uh, on recording about like, you know, you you see somebody like Candido or or something along those lines, and you're like, God, he didn't need a gimmick. Like he just was so talented 
and so good, and the crowd like loved him for that. But also, the reason why he didn't need a gimmick was because literally everybody else on the roster had a gimmick. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work that way in like all of independent wrestling, because you know if you're like, oh, I got no gimmicks needed, it's like okay, but what if there's like five other no gimmicks needed guy in this company? Yeah. Then now, whoops. Well, and also, Candido was such a good technician and had such comedic timing. I am blown away by his ability to sell. That it's just, I, no gimmicks needed was the gimmick because he's such a cartoon in real life. Right, yeah. Like a lot of how he sold and a lot of, uh, you know. No, he wasn't no gimmicks needed and a shooter. And right. He was. He understood the assignment. Yeah. Without needing an over-the-top gimmick. Yeah. Because he would sell over the top. You know, we saw so many full-body front bumps that were just completely ridiculous. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, so that obviously the deeper appreciation for Kennedy. I gotta say, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've learned shit all from watching ECW, but this time around watching it for me, I have really gotten. There's been a lot of things that have clicked for me, that I guess didn't click previously. And one of those is, like, Lance Storm. I was super not a Lance Storm guy in any, you know, version of him. And seeing him, you know, I I would say physically maybe at his prime in ECW, like, really kind of getting it. I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. Like, and again, when you're a unbelievable technical wrestler and, and you're very gifted and very good at what you do, against the tapestry of, hey, here's New Jack, here's Sabu, here's Taz, you can really stand out with that. Versus, you know, if it's Shooter's Only the Company and you're Landstorm, then I don't really know how much you're going to stand out. Yeah. Necessarily. Well, it also helps the way that he was portrayed. Right. He was portrayed as a good technician. Right. And that wasn't labeled as boring. That was, hey... This guy is somebody you need to watch and watch the details. Well, interestingly enough, um, I hadn't really ever considered it, but if we're going with, like, let's just pretend we can go apples to apples on this, is Lance Storm ECW's Bret Hart? Because the gimmick was that he was a great technical wrestler. From Canada. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they're all you could see the, the there are similarities to be drawn. I could see that. He, now, didn't, he didn't get the main event run that Brett got. No, that's true. That's true. But now that makes me think, like, we might have to do almost like a, uh, not so much a draft, but just sort of like a presentation, because now it's like, okay, so if Landstorm is your Bret Hart, I would say, oh, does that make Jerry Lynn Shawn Michaels? No. Yeah. Rob Van Dam is Shawn Michaels. Yes. Like, very much Shawn Michaels. Big, big attitude. Yeah. Very, very handsome man. Right. The airbrush singlets that are just so cool. Yeah. Well, that was the, the gift of RVD, was that, like, his gimmick was like, oh, he thinks he's too cool for the building. And he kind of was. Yeah. So, like, oh, that actually works out. Very, very Hunter Law-esque. Yeah. And just being just, the cool dude. It, well, what's his gimmick? He's cool. He's fucking cool, and he points at himself with his thumbs, and we just call it a day. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I've actually very, very much enjoyed our, our reviewing of ECW and really kind of seeing it not just in, like, the historical context. 
Now, one thing I will say, and I hope this doesn't upset Chad, uh, you know, immensely, uh, in the historical 2020 kind of looking back and how does ECW fit into, you know, the, the entire realm of wrestling in the 90s, you know, ECW is looked at as like this really interesting alternative, and if you ask ECW, you know, WWF and WCW stole from them, and there wouldn't be an Attitude Era if there wasn't ECW and yada yada yada. Um, and and a lot of that is true, right? But what they don't mention is the amount of like WWF castaways that like ECW absolutely pounced on. Well, and there's a there's two thought processes, two ways of thinking about it. There could be the the castaways and the guys that were released from the WWF and WCW. Right. Or also, these are your hidden gems. And ECW being the island of misfit toys, these are the toys that they didn't want. And Paulie made the most of your your Shane Douglas's Bam Bam, Terry Funk in what would be his later years then. Right. But really was the middle of his career. Which is very odd to think about. You know, Cactus, Stunning Steve, these are all guys that were labeled, you know, they're not going to draw money, we're not going to be able to do with anything with them. But I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about the Tully Blanchards, the, like, uh... Rick Rude. Rick Rude, Gordy, like, there was a ton of, like, dude, uh, fucking... Uh, Tommy Dreamer has a special guest tag team partner, and it's Jake Roberts. Like, there was a ton of guys who were like, uh, they're not getting booked by WWF anymore. And some of them really took it and ran, like Too Cold Scorpio, you know, Al Snow to a certain degree, Candido. But there's definitely a lot of weird, like, what the hell? And, and it's funny because... A, that kind of flies in the face a little bit about the historical context of ECW, of being this, like, unbelievable alternative and da-da-da. But on the other side of it, nothing makes it feel more like a true independent wrestling company than the Nostalgia Act booking. Like, bringing in the former <laughs> Fed guy yeah, and pushing him to the top. Yeah. As soon as I see, you know, here comes, uh, you know, Stan Hansen showing up for uh, a cup of coffee, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's an indie company. That's yeah. like any company in Florida. We'll do something like that. Well, I, I know the process because I've seen it happen. Right. Where you, you see somebody gets released and the guy, Booker A, looks at promoter and goes, how much do you think it's going to cost to book Stan Hansen? Right. How, how much, realistically, if I call Stan right now, how much is it going to cost? And then it's just, and there you are. you're yeah. off of the races. Right. Also, something that we haven't spoken about, mm-hmm. something that we both agreed upon, Mm-hmm. How fucking cool are the Eliminators? Oh my god. So, I was... My first introduction to Perry Saturn was like WCW. Like, as part of Raven's Flock. You know, Rings of Saturn, that whole thing. Yes. So, seeing him in the Eliminators blew my mind. It's like Clark Kent taking the glasses off and being Superman. And we were like, what the fuck? Like, just seeing the Eliminators blew me away. And also... Are the Eliminators the Hardy Boys of their time? Because they didn't really have, like, a gimmick, per se. It was more so, look at the unbelievable agility and ability of these two men. Well, I I could see that. I absolutely could. And with Cronus 
doing the 450 and the handspring back elbows. Yeah. And the, the you know that I could see it because is the the well no that's a that's a way well the twist of fate into the swanton is that not just total elimination like I was gonna say the thing where they both both Hardy Boys jump and one of them was a leg drop and one of them was a leg drop to the dick that was legal for some reason yep um. But to that's, the not, that's not super total elimination. I would say closer would be the twist of fate into the Swanton. Could see it, though that's not, and I don't think will ever be as cool as total elimination. No, I, I would say the thing that doesn't make it total elimination is that there is an op- there's a, a chance that you could take the twist of fate into the Swanton and not die. Yeah, and live the next day. <laughs> Versus Absolutely. total elimination where you have zero chance. It's so, it's beautiful. It might be my favorite finish in tag team wrestling. Specifically the Eliminators doing Sweet it. Sweet delay. I don't, has anyone else ever done it? I've never seen anybody else there's, do it. There's been variations on okay. it, but not quite the way that the Eliminators the did it. The spitting back kick with the sweep the leg at the same time land on your neck. But was never at the same time? No. No, always, it was somebody. It was either... Sweep the leg came too early, or spinning kick came too early, and you're getting fucked either way. And it's amazing, regardless. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, going through ECW, then we jump to one of the uh, recent wrestling appearances of yours, where you were uh, wrestling at uh, Kingdom. Yes. Uh, Kingdom of Wrestling. On my in, birthday. On your birthday, on, in Sarasota, Florida. Yes. And... Uh, interestingly n- enough, you were fighting in the main event. I was. You were fighting against the uh, the current champion. Cody Barringer for and, the Kingdom Heavyweight Championship. And, uh, you know, he won initially under some kind of shady circumstances. Well. And the referee discovered the shadiness, restarted the match under no disqualification rules, to which I turned to some of the crowd and went, oh, Little does the champion know, Dan Stowe's been watching nothing but ECW for the last two weeks. So you were ready to play. Throwing chairs like Sabu. Yeah, you did Sabu the chair to a couple people. The Spicoli driver. Which I lost my shit over. Yeah. I, I was unknowingly prepared for this. Yeah, it was, it was your destiny. And it worked out beautifully. I had my Shane Douglas tights on. You did have your Shane Douglas tights on. It was a, it was a good day. Um, Until it wasn't. Well, until it wasn't when A, you were robbed again, and B, uh, I almost got shot in Sarasota. So that was also not great. It did also happen. Uh, yeah, midway through the show, there was like a brief, brief, brief intermission between matches. Oh. And uh, a gentleman who was under some sort of substance. Or a cocktail of sorts. Perhaps. Uh, approached the ring in nothing but his boxer brief underwear and a big sun hat and got in the ring like just walked right past the uh the velvet ropes and just climbed right in the ring by himself and uh started like looking for a fight and then uh cody came out and was like hey man you gotta get out of this ring right now and he talked some shit and then like four more dudes came out and the guy was like all right my bad and he got out of the ring and 
took about three steps back to the crowd. Someone in the crowd referred to him as Sandy Cheeks because he was completely covered in sand on his entire back and ass. And that set him off. And he lost his mind. Oh. And then uh, this guy with a mohawk in the crowd uh, called this guy a big puss. And so big then puss. the guy left. And we were all like, what a wacky situation. Then that guy came back in his car to which Mohawk guy walked to the car, called him a big puss again. Underwear man got out of the car, opened the trunk, and that's when I said, hey, we're about to die. Because he's going to definitely pull out a gun, and it's going to be a little bit of trouble. See, and I was unfamiliar with all this. I have only heard bits and pieces of the entire story. Yes, so he pulls out a bottle... Is threatening Mohawk guy. Mohawk guy turns his back to him and says, if you're going to do something, do something. The guy rears back, hits Mohawk guy in the back of the head. Mohawk guy doesn't fall. He just ate it. He just ate it. And then the cops were called. Now, what I learned recently yes. was once the cops were called, Everyone talks, blah, blah, Mohawk guy's not going to press charges. Drunk guy is like, okay, fine, whatever, you're going to let me go. The cops say yes. They go, yeah, you're clearly intoxicated, but you're free to go. Underwear guy? Underwear guy. Apparently, underwear guy gets in the car, drives out of the Munchies parking lot. Yes. Drives about... Five feet down the road is immediately pulled over for DUI. The setup. Yes. They got the entrapment. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> and then the rest of the evening was spent with Mohawk Guy and Mohawk Guy's significant other screaming at each other. And then Mohawk Guy blubbering all over the place. Yes. Including... In front of and on top of Logan Cruz at one point. So, it was quite an eventful evening for all involved. Yes. I also got the most, the most ethnic haircut I've ever gotten in my life. It was great. There was a lot of drama going on at the barbershop. It's still a good haircut? Thank you. Uh, they asked for, me, for my advice. I was like, I'm very white. What are we doing? It was a wonderful experience. My brother was in town? Yes. Brother Starling was in town. That was a laugh riot. He does a great Taz impression. Always a good time when he's in town. It's spare. It's very sparingly, but it is always a good time when he's in town. Yes. Um, Then the following weekend. Yes. POW. Prideversary. Yes. The big show. Put the plug in. It was myself, the cheese, and Jay Lethal versus the Gifted. That was a hell of a match. I'll be honest with you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Anytime I can be in or around the ring with Jay, you'll learn something. So let's talk about that a little bit. So obviously the, the match itself was great. Um, you know, obviously a big fan of yours and Cheese's work. But you, and I think you said Shogun both said, that as soon as you're sharing a ring with Jay, you're immediately... Questioning everything about yourself. Oh, absolutely. That you're just like, I gotta get my shit together. 
And it's not that you're bad. Because I like to think I'm fairly competent. Shogun is the man. Right. I can give him all the props in the world. And I know he feels the same way. When you step in the ring and you watch Jay work, your mind just goes to, man, how, what? Yeah, it's like he's do. It's like he's doing something completely different. It's, that it's, it shouldn't even be called wrestling. It's like he's doing some kind of unbelievable magic. It, it's effortless, right? And it's and all of the greats say it. It's like don't think about it, just go, right? Just go wrestle. And he does that. He's on that plane, and we just haven't gotten there yet, right? But watching the, that, just like that, that's where we need to get. We need to get to that level. So, obviously, that match will be available on the Pride of Wrestling YouTube at some point. So, everyone's going to need to watch that. But With commentary provided by. Well, hopefully, but provided by yours truly. Um, but, without giving too much away, what was a personal standout moment for you? Whether it was something you were involved with or not. What is something that you're going to carry with you from that match? Forever. Forever. Well, there's there's so much because just the process. Would you say? Let me ask you this question. Would you say? And this is no heat on anybody. But if he says no, would you consider this one of your like best matches you've been a part of? Like, if you had to be like, here's a top ten Dan Starling matches to watch. Would you include that in the list? Yes and no. Okay. It is probably one of the best matches I've been involved in. Though it is not one of my best matches. No, but you're also sharing the stage with five other people. Well, yes. Six if you include Ref Julie. So you, it's like... You have to. So, yeah, maybe not the best showcasing of every one of your skills, but I would say it's one of the best stories that you've had a part in playing and, and telling. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, like, if if you're on... If somebody goes and makes a best of... Right. This would be included... But it's included because of the story and because right. of all of the moving parts. True. It's not like let my match with Hunter Law right. or my singles match with Jay. Those are my objectively my best outings or moments in matches. My best showcases. Okay, but if I were to show somebody who wasn't familiar with wrestling and I was like, oh, you got to check out my dude Starling... I would show them that six-man because there was so much excitement and it was so crazy and it told a story that I think it would hook everybody who'd watch. Then they can dive deeper and go, oh my God, this guy's an amazing technical wrestler. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. Okay. The, I think I'm thinking about it too hard. <coughs> By no means am I suggesting this is the new era of you. I'm just no, saying no, 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 no. that I think it was great... It, it was one of the best story matches you've been a part of. Yes. Like, again, I do agree with you. It's not necessarily showcasing, holy shit, check out this kid's moveset and what he can do. Yeah. But in terms of, like, telling a story, there were moments of you having a character in that in that scene and the whole thing. Like, I think it's probably one of your best pure if we're just going on telling a story. It's a very clear story. Everyone can follow along. Whether they know the history of the Wrestle Lab and your history with The Gifted or not, I think anybody could watch that match and be like, this is crazy. Absolutely. From beginning to end, it just it's very cohesive. Yeah, exactly. Which isn't always the case. 
Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes things yeah. can get lost. But anyway, back to the original question. So what, what what's something that you're going to carry with you from that match, the experience? Don't push Ref Julie. That is a great lesson to learn. That's one. Always respect your referees. And just, I think, patience more than anything. Yeah. I think that's something that I think that's something a lot of vets say is about like slow down. It's all right. We're gonna get there. Well, and even more so in the long run. Mm. Patience in the ring in that match, yes, but in the okay, we're not there yet, right? But we can in time. You're gonna get there. Good. That's good. That's the kind of thing. I think it's a lesson you should be getting from an experience like that. Now, to flip it, Uh-oh. you always the interviewer, mm-hmm. now to be the interviewee, mm-hmm. I believe that's the... Yeah, you got it, you nailed it. You've got Spookala yes. in Ocala, Florida, yes. the 9th through the 11th. That's true. How have you been prepared? Great question. Um, I've been making an absolute shit megaton of uh, VHS tapes. So anyone who's not aware, which I don't know how you wouldn't be, um, Luna and I basically split a table at the convention. So we, we have a 10 by 10 booth and we basically have two tables and one is all of her stuff that she makes by hand. And then the, the other half is my VHS tapes and all that stuff. And so, um, probably I'd say for the last, um, I think it's on and off, but let's just say for the last month. I've been making at least one to three videos a night. Um, so I'm up to 117 new VHS tapes that I'll be bringing along with, I'd say probably between maybe maybe 30 uh, already viewed tapes, like the foundling tapes of you know titles that people might give a shit about. Um, things that you found in the wild. Yeah, like yeah, that. like titles that are like nostalgic and da 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 that would that will sell for will sell for cheap. Um, but that's been my big preparation is just getting all of my inventory ready to go. Um, Luna and I have really finally figured out a really good system. Um, she's I, I one of the things that I've always noticed at conventions is a lot of artists struggle and I've seen plenty of tables die slow deaths over the course of a convention. And it's usually because they're usually just manned by like the artists themselves and that's it. And like many wrestlers, uh, artists typically are on a perpetual pendulum swing between frightening narcissism and over ego and crippling self-doubt. Yes, it is a very... It's a wave. Yeah. It, it, I, I always say it's a, like a roller coaster. Right. You're going to get to the highest point where you think you're the best. And then something's going to happen. And then you're not going to sell a single shirt. <laughs> and it's like, you know, maybe I should just quit the business. I don't know. Mm, maybe I ain't shit. And then the next week, yeah, you're back to normal. So for a lot of art, independent artists... Who are just alone at their booth, they've busted their ass to bring all the shit and get all the shit ready and da 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 da, and they're just beat down at that point. And so they're just struggling to connect with people and bring people. Because even if you've got the coolest shit on the planet Earth, as you know, a lot of these conventions, especially Spookala, there is so much to look at. 
that it's very easy to just like get into a fog yes. and just not even be aware of what's going on. And, you know, you'll do multiple laps around the building and not even see everything. Well, and there's a lot of sensory overload. Right. Because there's so much. And especially on like a Saturday. Oh, when it's jam-packed. There's yeah. so many people that you're almost getting pushed conga line through. <laughs> right. Like to haunted house. To where you can't buy anything because right. you'd have to stop someone in the line. You'd have to stop the momentum, yeah. Um, so... With that being said, with us, Luna is that artist where she's just maintaining inventory and she's making sure that everything is, is displayed well and she's in charge of the money and all that good stuff. And I just get to be a carnival barker for three days. Yeah. That's that's the magic. That's our that's our, our trick. I don't think there's been a single convention that I've worked that we haven't annoyed our neighbors. Um, and not on purpose. But huh. I'm just a carnival barker. That's it. Well, and you're selling. Right. You're, That's the whole thing. You're in it to make a sale. Yeah, I'm Billy Mays for 72 hours. Wait. I miss Billy Mays. R.I.P. So I have to ask yes. another question. You've got certain titles that you make. Right. And the I know you've got a certain number you make for certain conventions. Right. Are there any certain foundlings you pick, like typically look for? Great question. So that the foundling side, the 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 finding pre-existing tapes and basically flipping them, um, has been one of the things that I've struggled with the most because um, my tastes aren't necessarily most people's tastes, which sounds very like hipstery, but that's not what I mean. Like for me, it's like I like horror movies. I like specific things from that I remember like nostalgia and I like really absurd shit. Like we found a tape at like a Goodwill or something that was like a dog grooming VHS tape. And it was like an instructional video for like 45 minutes on like proper techniques on like grooming your dog. And it's from like 1989. Like I'm like, that's the kind of tape that I want. Um, we have a copy of uh share fitness. So yes. it's like, you know, looking to turn back time and turn back the love handles. Like that's, that's the kind of shit that I want. So I've gathered a lot of that stuff in previous conventions, expecting other people to kind of go on that journey with me. And oftentimes that's not the case. So what we've been doing this time around is because Spookala is a horror convention, I've gone for not, I wouldn't necessarily be like mainstream, but like better known horror films um like for instance i know offhand i've got the uh color box version of um 1931 frankenstein um house of wax with vincent price beetlejuice um interview with the vampire some of the you know titles that we're all kind of familiar with um there's a lot more of those and less of like, you know, because for a while I was trying to portray it as like, oh, here are horror tapes, really weird stuff. And then like the most, the worst movies. So like I'd have copies of like Battlefield Earth and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and things like that. Thinking that there's going to be like, you know, sadists who are like, oh yeah, I got to own this. But it was just like, oh, this movie sucks. And I'm like, oh, okay. So. <laughs> So that's been something I've struggled with. The other thing I've struggled with with, with that is 
the first year we did it, we brought Foundlings and all that. They sold great. Every convention since then, there have been more and more and more vendors who are selling VHS tapes. Because when we first got started, some plays like Retro Rats, perfect example. Yes. Retro Rats got like unbelievable collectibles. Holy shit, their selection's unbelievable. And they would have like a single rack that would have like some higher end VHS tapes. Like, oh, this is like a rare, this is like a sealed copy of Halloween 3. So it's like, you know, 70 bucks or something like that. And that would be it. Now it's like there was that, uh, I think it was like the Christmas Spookella. Yes. There was somebody right across from us who literally all they sold were VHS tapes. And they were selling for like dirt cheap. So that super undercuts my confidence in terms of like upselling the foundlings. Because I'm like, oh, there's a whole fucking guy right there who does that. Well, and what, what I've said to you in previous conversations, also not recorded. Right. Is Thankfully. You've got a hook. Mm-hmm. Not only in your carnival barking, but because you produce these tapes, mm-hmm. these you could art, right? Essentially, yeah, art pieces yes, is what we yes, kind of yes. consider them. That that is the attraction. They see the and they might that you've seen it. They'll pick up a tape, they'll look at it, they'll look at the box art, they'll conversate with you for a little right. bit. They might leave with the shining. Right. True. Because. They're not ready to to full dive in, but they like The Shining. Right. They're going to, and then possibly Luna can come in on the back end. Hey, here's the Shining piece that we made, da da da. And now it's a, yeah. sort of a team effort. Right. No, and I, and I, there was plenty of sales that work that way, which is great. The, the foundlings, I think, are, I'm just going to have to try to connect them as almost like an upsell. If somebody's willing to take the journey with me on like, oh, I love reanimator, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, well, we also have, you know, these zombie movies and these are only, you know, four bucks. Yes. So if you want to get reanimator, you can toss a couple of these on there too. And da, 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 da. You've got to do your Netflix also recommended. Kind of. Yeah. That's sort of the energy that I got to bring to it. So we'll see how it goes. If not, if it, if, if the foundling shit the bed again, then I'm not going to worry about them anymore. And I'll just stick to new releases and like hardware. Because we're going to bring VCRs, we're going to bring some of the storage cases. Um, so I won't worry about the foundlings as much. Now, there are, at every show, there's probably at least one or two people who are um, absolute psychopaths who will, like, get in the horse stance and go through every single foundling that we have and walk away with, like, two. And I'm like, great. And that's that's when I truly feel like I'm working at a blockbuster. Is I'm like, hey man, are you gonna buy something or what? Like that's when I truly feel my ancestors in me, and and that's that's the whole idea, right? <laughs> right. I mean, what's we've got the whole setup now where it's like the big rack of of tapes that are all out facing out now, and you know our our setup has evolved over time. Um, so we'll see. So the deep, the most deep dive question I'm going to ask. Okay. You make a, a pretty wide array of tapes. Yes and no. I feel like it's a wide array. I've had a lot of people tell me, like, oh, so you just do, like, horror movies? And I'm like, those are the ones that sell. Well, yes, you do horror and some... Some some adult features, we'll say. Some not-safe-for-work films Yeah, as some well. behind-the-beaded-curtain. Oh, hey, now. Are there any films that you've thought, I would like to make this on VHS, but I don't know how well it would sell? Constantly. 
constantly. There are tons of titles that I'm like, oh, ooh, and I'm like, no one's going to buy this. Like, And if you could give me maybe two or three of those, and also the movies that everybody wants on VHS that you're not going to make. Let's say you're Wizard of Oz. Right, 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 right. Something that's like, yeah. There is, um, so the core idea of Brain Buster is to either put stuff on tape that never was on tape or put stuff on tape that is so hard to find on tape that it's not worth it. So like Frankenhooker is one of those where like an original copy of Frankenhooker is like a $300 tape. That, that might work. That might work, might be moldy as shit, who knows. And if you're really a fan of Frankenhooker, you can just buy the Blu-ray. Uh, so the concept is like, well, what if we made it an art piece? Da, 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 it was 20 bucks instead. Isn't that a little more convenient? So there's that element. Um, I would have... Uh, so to answer the part about like what am I never going to put, I would have said Repo the Genetic Opera because I think that movie's super cringy. Um, but somebody paid me for it. They were like, I want to do a commission. Here's my money. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. What do you want? Repo. And I'm like, fuck me. Shouldn't have taken the money. Was it Luna that said that Repo are for theater kids that didn't? missed Rocky Horror? Yes. Yeah, that was Luna's quote, uh, okay. which I think is true. Um, this is the first convention we've had Repo at, so I'm very curious to see how it goes. Um, I was expecting it to sell a lot better online than it did. Because a lot of people, when I first posted about it, were like, oh my god! And then I posted, like, hey, it's available! And I think I only sold, like, three or four copies. So I'm like, hmm. So I don't know in person if it's going to do any better. Um, Let's hope. Yeah. Um, Which, and I think it could be, and I, once again, I'm not a salesman. I don't know how this works. It could be a, they walk up, and they go, I remember Repo. Look at it. Open it up, the nostalgia starts to come in. All right, take my Well, I'm definitely expecting... Now, that exact scenario happens for plenty of our titles. Um, for Repo specifically, I am expecting... I'm not expecting them to all sell out necessarily. I'm expecting some freakouts. I am expecting somebody or multiple somebodies to completely lose their shit when they see that title. Oh, absolutely. I, I am, I'm picturing that. Because we do get that from time to time. That, that, you know, for, let's say we sell six copies, that, like, maybe four are like, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. But two of those are like, someone's having a meltdown. Because this is their all-time favorite film that they don't feel gets appreciated. And now there's a literal art piece of it yeah. that they can own. I imagine that that's in the same category as, like, a, a Sweeney Todd... Oh, true. Yeah. Or movies of that era that people are super nostalgic for, nostalgic for. But it's a very small window. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, so I don't know how interesting this is going to be, but I do hesitate on films that are not super hard to find. So, perfect example. Um, one of the tapes that we do is The Shining. And we do it uh, on an orange tape with a red uh, flap on it. And then, like, instead of a proper label, it's the carpet. Yes. And then there's, like, a little bit of blood on it. Um, and then the cover is, you know, artsy-fartsy, whatever. That was one that was requested by multiple people. And I was very puzzled about that. 
Because The Shining isn't terribly hard to find on VHS. It's like, probably, I would guess, maybe like, if you looked online, probably like a 6 or $7 tape, maybe. Huh. Because um, there's a ton of it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like super hard to find. Um, so that was like a title that I struggled with. Because I was like, ah, it's not that hard to find. But it's the art. That's where the art piece comes in. If it's like it's not just owning it on VHS. It's look at the case, look at the shell. It's got like a little rental sticker on it that says "Overlook Hotel Rentals." Like, you know, pomp and circumstance. Blah 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 blah. So um, I struggle with some of those titles where I'm like, this is not terribly hard to find. And for example, um, for the next Spookala in October, Freddie Prince Jr. is going to be there as one of the media guests, and they're, like, kind of framing it, like, from the live-action Scooby-Doo movie. I was gonna say, you're gonna put Scooby-Doo 2 on tape. I'm considering it, because I'm pretty sure both were on tape, but they were just plain black tapes. They were just regular tapes. So yeah. I'm like, well, I could do them as a double feature. I've done that before. Oh, wait a minute now. Could do them as a double feature and do the tape like it's the Mystery Machine. Do, like, a teal body... With, like, a green flap and then, like, kind of the flowers as the label kind of thing. So, it's like, okay. that's doable. Yeah. That's doable. Um, so, there's certain ideas like that where it's like, okay, this title isn't super hard to come by, but what if I gimmick it up kind of a thing. Well, and then it's, you know, you're decorating your, your living room. You've got the television in the center. Right. You put the tapes on the ends. Right. Right, you can make the little art pieces. To make it like a home theater experience yeah, exactly. kind of deal. And then there's some people that it's like the, the art piece part doesn't matter. That they're just like, no, I'm genuinely a VHS collector and I want these. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, I think about ones I, on my like don't list. I'll be honest, um, and, and I, I'm wondering if this may be a curse to you as well. <laughs> um, seeing other people doing what I'm doing will sometimes discourage me even if I think I've got a decent idea. Yeah, so for 100%. Ex- so, for example, I do one of Evil Dead 2013, the Evil Dead remake. When Evil Dead Rise came out, I had a couple of people ask, like, oh, are you going to do that? I was like, well, maybe. And I was like, well, I'm uh, thinking about it. I'm like, well, you know, I, technically by doing the remake now, that's all the movies on tape, so it's like, eh, it kind of does make sense to do the, the next one and have, like... So if somebody had all of them on tape, you could, like, oh, okay, the whole you collection. You have the collection, yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I think I could do that. Every single boot maker that I've... that I am kind of, like, aware of in the, the social media space have all done Evil Dead Rise. Their own take on... Right. The, the covers, I'm assuming... And- yeah. Their own variations on that, their own variations on, like, a colored tape shell, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of like, ugh. Well, and that, I imagine that's difficult because the movie just came out. Right. And with the VHS, I imagine there, there's a bit of nostalgia to it. Yeah, and, it, and it's one of those things where, like, there are a couple companies that I know of where it's like, as soon as something hits, like, VOD, they've already made a tape of it. Oh. Like, they're hitting the ground running, and their whole bag is whatever the new pop culture, um, whatever the new pop culture, like, movie is. But on tape. But on tape. 
And so it's like as soon as something comes out, like, oh, here you go. It's right here. And I don't want to do that. Oh. Um, I kind of – I've been trying to keep the idea of like what are things that maybe have come out recently that feel like they should be on tape. A perfect example – you do a tape of the lighthouse, right? And that was released in four three ratio, so it was released in in full screen instead of widescreen, and in black and white. Like it fit. It's a movie that feels like it should be on tape, right? Also, a personal favorite of mine. Really? Yes, I love that movie. Did you know so that much. Willem Dafoe's like Poseidon curse was done in one take? I didn't. And he didn't blink for two minutes. What? Yeah, like Willem Dafoe after the like. Oh, but you like my lobster, right? And Robert Patton's like, ah. And he gets up and does the big speech. That was all done in one take. And Willem Dafoe didn't blink for two minutes. That's beautiful. Yeah. That makes me... There's little things I learn about this movie that make me like it even more. That's one of the... So, A24, I'm kind of wishy-washy on as a production company. But Lighthouse really does kind of speak as like a... Sometimes you just let an artist just do what they gotta do. And sometimes it's totally worth it. Yes. Other times, not so much. You're like, eh, maybe you needed somebody else to kind of bounce this idea off a little bit or maybe someone to rein it in a little bit. But with The Lighthouse, you're like, nope, that was totally worth it. Everyone being weird was worth it. Like, this was great. Because, like, Willem Dafoe didn't stay in the hotel with everyone else. He stayed in, like, a cabin in town with, like, the locals. Like, everyone was making weird character choices and stuff. Um but it worked. And it totally worked. The yeah. two-person cast. Super crazy. Oh. Like, um, But yeah, and so funnily enough, I haven't done this, but um, the Snyder Cut of Justice League would work too, because it was released in 4.3. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like weirdly letterboxed if you watch it on a, flat, on a uh, widescreen TV. Um, but like that would make sense on tape. But how many tapes are you going to have to put that on? Jesus. Yeah, no, it would have to be definitely extended so the picture quality would would shit the bed because you'd have to do the extended recording. But, yeah. no, it might be worth it. Maybe. The one thing I keep getting asked about nebulously, like, it's not like connected people keep asking me. It's like this person and then this totally different person and this totally different person. Um, people keep suggesting Freddy's Nightmares. Huh. Which was the, like, anthology TV show uh, kind of about Nightmare on Elm Street in the late 80s. I've had, like, a half a dozen people Suggest putting it on tape. Now, how would you put <coughs> that on tape? That I don't know. First of all, I don't have the footage because it's never been released in a in a physical format. Fun. Uh, Tubi had it for a minute, but they've taken it down. And it's gone. Yeah. Um. So that's number one. Would be getting the footage. Number two. The entire series was two seasons, forty four episodes. Each episode, 40 minutes. So maybe two episodes per tape? No, no, no. It would be, if I did extended recording, I could fit each season on two tapes. So then I'd have four tapes to cover both seasons. Okay. Which is doable, but that is a big undertaking. Yes. Because I was able to cram... Season one of What We Do in the Shadows on one tape, which I didn't think I'd be able to do. And I was able to figure that out. Four tapes for a full run of a show, it seems like a lot. Um, and I'd want to try to figure out some kind of 
configuration to make it all like a big piece. Like I, yeah. I wouldn't always want to be like, there you go. Like I remember, um, there was a blockbuster going out of business and they had like DVDs of like a season of a show and they had it split up into like individual, like it was like rubber banded together. It was like five boxes together. And it's like, well, this is a pain in the ass. And I wouldn't want to do the same thing. I'd want to try to, I don't know. So similar story of the blockbuster going out of business in Virginia beach on Holland road. There was a Hollywood video. Amazing. When Hollywood video went out of business, I bought Every season of Seinfeld. Amazing. On DVD. And Fantastic Four, The Rise of Silver Surfer. Terrible. And Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Okay, great. Good haul, I'd say. Over by uh, USF, um, there was a blockbuster. And when they were going out of business, I bought probably 10 pounds worth of... They used to have... The, uh, there were, like, these little cards that were, like, maybe, like, seven by nine, maybe. All right. And they were, like, of a really hard material that had basically the DVD cover on it. So that was their way to, like, have outward-facing titles without actually having the, the, the boxes there. They could still put them long ways next yeah. to them. I don't know why they decided to do it that way. But they had a shitload of them. For like every title they had. So I bought probably 10 pounds worth of like basically these little title cards of a shitload of movies. Movies that I loved, movies that I'd never seen before. Just everything. Just whatever you can get. Yeah. Which, and I think that's the beauty of a store going out of business. Well, the fucking thing that irritated me was the blockbuster here in town that went out of business. I had just moved here and they were going out of business. And, um... I wanted to buy their tablecloth. They had like a blockbuster tablecloth. Blue, had a little blockbuster embroidered in the front. Um, and I was like, how much for it? I'll buy it, whatever, whatever. And the guy was like, oh, we got to send it back to corporate. I'm like, for what? They're, you're all closed. Like, it's not it's not going anywhere. It's gonna, They're going to come back. It's going to happen. Well, that's allegedly. And then I'm fucked. I don't have to come up with a name for the company. Them and Toys R Us. They're coming back. So uh, let's uh, wrap this up here. Uh, back to you for wrestling. Uh, you've got an upcoming gig this weekend as well. Yes. This weekend I will be in Jeffersonville, Indiana. The world famous Jeffersonville Sportatorium. It's not true. That's very true. I, I Well, no, I'm going to be there, but it is not at the Sportatorium. For Paradigm Pro Wrestling... It's, uh, I'll be there this Friday. I've got a long drive, but it'll be, that'll definitely be worth it. The Paradigm shows are always a blast. It's some of my best work, I would say, in the, uh, the UWFI. But I think in time with more of it, it'll, it'll be shown better. Okay. And you've got Spookala, the 9th, yes. 10th, and 11th. Yes. In Ocala, Florida. Yes. Uh, Mick Foley, the Hardys, Rebby Hardy and Goth Baby, oh. uh, former guests of the IndyCast, um, Galore will be there, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be plenty. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be great. Maybe another random Joe Gacy signing. Hey, I'll remind him about when he, you know, did the worm in front of us. Um, right where someone in the crowd went, 
something cool's about to happen. Could put sunglasses on. Um, it's the international sign. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so make sure you're following Daniel Starling on all social media. Watch him at, uh, at his various uh, pop-ups in, in wrestling all over this great country. We're hoping to see him pop up in some new locations this year. This is his Candido year because he just turned 25. And, uh, yeah, and then if you happen to be anywhere in Florida, come to Spookala. It's going to be fucking bananas. No, Spookala, the times that I've, times, I can say. Yeah, that's true, the times. That I've gone has been a blast. Everyone. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. If you're in a close enough area to justify driving. I will say, Ocala, surprisingly close to a lot of places. We thought it was like a year away from us, and it turns out it's like less than an hour. So I was like, oh. Would highly recommend. Good. Good. Yeah, there's a lot of great people out there. Um, the venue itself is, is gigantic. Plenty of parking. Parking's free. Is it still at the Equestrian Center? The summer one is. The fall one will be in Tampa. Okay. So this one is at the Horse City, USA in Ocala, Florida. Um, yeah, it's going to be nuts. Uh, so yeah, on behalf of everyone, uh, this is our little impromptu almost anniversary episode. Uh, thanks to all the dozens and dozens for listening. And uh, for everybody here, I'm Zach Romero. I'm Daniel Starling. Until next time, we always say deuces. Well, hope I don't poop today. Hercules Mulligan. A jump scare is the Canadian destroyer of horror films. Pardon me. Might I suck my own dick for a second? I'm ready to greet the day, you fucker. <laughs> Every single one of you guys has made a horrible decision. <laughs> it's that dirty-ass Meryl Street. We are, we're touching wieners, touching wieners professionally. Ric Flair said fuck a six-pack, and he never lost an ounce of pussy. What I am is a big, queer, stone-cold Steve Austin. Love dick. Birds don't give a fuck about your life.